0: Well, good morning. Oh, I think we can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is James Fields. I serve as uh, the pastor, lead pastor here at Sojourn Church Carlisle. It's indeed good to be with you this morning. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me um, as we read God's word together? We'll continue to in our Matthew series. We're actually going to go back. A little bit, and we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15, and you'll find those words written here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the words that are written to us this morning. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Heavenly Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And bring us, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if, you, for, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. You may be seated. There's a little adage that the Lord has taught me over the years, and I'd like to share it with you this morning, and it simply says this. Our vision of God determines our pursuit of God. Our vision of God determines our pursuit of God. I remember when the Lord taught me this lesson. It was a lesson that I actually didn't experience myself, but it was actually told to me by my wife. As many of you know, we don't live here yet uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, but we will be living here shortly in a couple of of weeks, up to a couple of months in July. But in our little town of Princeton, New Jersey, where we live uh, it's a very walkable community. Um, We like to walk around the community. We like to go on little strolls as much as uh, I also see a lot of you guys in the community walking around uh, on Southern Parkway a lot. We do the same thing out there. On this particular day, my wife and my, our three children were walking around and I wasn't home, but my, my set, my, my oldest son, Elliot didn't know that I wasn't home yet. And he did, he does what he always does. He's a six going on seven year old. He'll be seven, year old, uh, seven years old in June. He does what often all little boys love to do. They are full of energy and they need to get that energy out. And what he does is he often leaves my, me and my family in dust and just sprints down the, the, the sidewalk to get to home to ring the doorbell. That's his favorite thing to do. Was they were walking around and as they were coming around the corner, he could see the finish line being our house. He sprinted to the house, thinking and hoping that I was there, but I wasn't. He came to a house that was empty, dark, and not, had, had no signs of life. But that didn't stop my son, Elliot. You see, Elliot still went to the door, and he did his favorite thing. You know what his favorite thing is? It's ringing that doorbell, and ringing it, and ringing it, and ringing it, and ringing it, and ringing it. And my wife came home, and she shared this story with me. And as he, she shared the story with me, the Lord brought back to my remembrance, and he said these words to me, this is how you are to pursue me. This is how you are to pursue me. You see, because my son, Elliot, he went to this vacant home, he didn't see any signs of life, there was no lights on, there was nothing to let him know that he was there, but he knew that if he rang the doorbell long enough, if I was inside being his father, I would hear my son's cry. I would hear him calling to me and I would either get out of my sleep or stop what I was doing in order to respond to his call. See our vision of God determines our pursuit of him. And even through my six year old son's example, it's a good example. And it's a good reminder for us to understand that we need to see God for who he is, which is good. You know what caused my son to continue to ring that bell? Cause he knew he had a good father on the other side of the door. And I don't say that to pipe my own self up like I'm a good father. I'm saying that to say that he knows that if he, he knew that if I, if I would have just heard him calling for, for him, if, if I knew that he was in distress, if I, he knew, if I knew that he needed me, I would respond to his call. In our pastor today, we see an aspect where Jesus is trying to rectify wrong views about him. He's trying to rectify, he's trying to help us to have a right view about who he is, but before he gives us a right view, he tries to correct the wrong. Look with me in verse seven. He says this, when you pray. Now notice what he says here, is when you pray. It's not if you pray, it's not based on condition. Not since you pray, it's not a result of something, and it's not even because you pray. He says, when you pray. Prayer is not just encouraged, prayer is assumed by our Heavenly Father. That when you pray, he says, don't be, don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Underline that if you can. Don't be like them because your Heavenly Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now notice with me what Jesus tells us to do. He tells us not to babble like the Gentiles. And what he, the reason why he says this is two reasons. One is obvious because it's in the text. He says, because you won't be heard because of your many words. He says, you won't be heard because of your many words. And so notice what Jesus is not forbidding here. Jesus is not forbidding long prayers. He's not forbidding re- re- um, prayers of repetition, prayers that you pray often. He's not forbidding that. What he's, what he's forbidding is you thinking that by you constantly bringing things up to God and before him that you can, you can, that you can convince God to actually hear and respond to you because of your pestering of him. This is what he's talking about. It's much like parents when you deal with little children and your children says, um, Daddy, can I have ice cream? And Normally, I say yes, but on occasion, I say no, and, and I say no, you can't hide ice cream. And you know what they say? You guys know, please, please, and I'm, a, I could, I'm wearing a microphone, I don't want to annoy any of you, but you know, that goes for a, a long time, and what are they doing? They heard the answer, but what are they tra- they're trying to convince you? They say, you don't know. I need some ice cream. I, need some, I want some ice cream. And it's your job to give it to me. And you told me no, but guess what? I'm going I'm to do this until you give me my ice cream. What, what God is calling us to is to understand that he's a good God, that he loves us. And you don't have to, you don't have to go to him as, if that, as that pleading child and, and looking to God with that sigh of, please do this, God. Please, God, do this. He, he's a good father. He's a good God. He knows what you need before you, you even ask it. He knows it. He knows it. He understands your needs even before you ask of them. He's provided a solution even before you knew there was a problem. There's a view of God that we can have where we think that we can earn God's love or we can earn God's affection or we can earn God's grace towards us. But if we could earn grace, it wouldn't be grace. This is what God has called us to. He hasn't called us to a God where, who has to be coerced by our doing. He hasn't called us to to a God who, who loves us only when we do certain things for him. God loves you because he loves you. And he's committed to you because he's committed to you. And there's nothing you can do or there's nothing you can undo to stop that love that he has for you. In Christ Jesus, our king. He helps us to understand that there's a wrong way of viewing him with babbling speech. Intended to persuade a God who already knows everything that is. We're to pray to him. We're not to pray to God to inform him as if he's ignorant. As if he's ignorant of our situation. But we're called to worship him. We're called to love him. We're called to know him as a good father. And as a good king. This is how he starts off giving us the right way to view him. He starts off with these familiar words. Look with me in verse nine. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven. The order of these words are so important. And I know that we say this prayer often, maybe before meals or when you first wake up, but notice the order that God is trying to understand who he is. He, again, again, God is telling us, don't do this. This is a wrong way to view, of, to view of me. Do this. This is the right way to view me. Notice the order. Our Father in heaven. The hour is very important because it helps us to know that this is a communal aspect that God calls us to. It, we don't have Long Ranger Christianity, as I like to tell my Princeton students uh, up at the university. There, there's, God hasn't called us to Long Rangerism uh, Christianity, to, to be on our own or to be on an island with him. Yes, your individual spiritual disciplines is important to God. Yes, your daily prayer time is important to God. But you know also what's most important to God is you living in the context of Christian community each and every day and every, every week in the body of Christ. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are one member of that body. So he starts off his prayer with our, to remind us of the communal aspect of the body of Christ. Notice the second word, Father. Father reminds us of the closeness of of God. He's our Abba Father. This is a new way. So honestly, we get so used to saying this term and used to saying this prayer, our Father in heaven. But in this context, to know God as Father is something that is just um, unknown and even unthinkable. To to, to the world at this time, and even to this day, they want to proclaim God's greatness in order to be close to him. And in this prayer, what Jesus teaches us is just the opposite. He's saying God is close, Therefore, you can know his greatness. So it's an image of a little kid crawling into his mom or dad's lap, snuggling with them. Our Father, our Father, Daddy, Abba Father. This is how God, who he reminds us. And then lastly, we see this aspect of consecration. Not only is our important, not only is a father. But the last thing that he lets us know is that he's in heaven. It reminds us of his greatness and the infinite worth of our God, that he is located in a place that cannot be shaken, cannot be moved. And only he sits on the throne in heaven. Amen. Our father in heaven. This order is so important. It's so important to see God rightly and to understand how he wants you to view him. The most important thing that God wants you to know about him today is that he is your father and that he is good and he loves you as you are with all your faults, with all your failures, with all your insecurities, he still loves you and he's still committed to you. Notice what, how the prayer continues. He says this, your name be honored as holy. Holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So after giving us an identity of who he is, of being close and being intimate and and knowing his greatness as a result, he goes through this three petition. He says, your name be honored as holy. The word holy here is not about perfection. It's about being separated for the use of God. He's saying, listen, your name be honored greater than any other name. There are many lords, there are many kings, but you are the Lord of lords and you are the King of kings. There are many people who have authority, but you are the one who holds all authority. Your name be holy. Notice how his name becomes holy. His whole name doesn't just come holy just because you want it to become holy, his name actually comes holy through a people. How will God's name be holy? How will God's name be regarded holy within your home? How will God's name be regarded holy um, in your marriage? How will God's name be regarded holy in your school? It's going to be through you. Again, remember, our Father. This is a communal project. This is a project where God has sent his son to die and to rise again for the forgiveness of of, of sin so that his people may be dwelt in with the Holy Spirit and then sent out into the world on mission for his glory. I hope you see your part in this. I hope you see your part in this, that God has died not just to die, but he's died for a people people that will regard and make his name holy in South Louisville and beyond. Not only does he say, let your name be holy. He says, your kingdom come. This aspect of kingdom is this already, but not yet. It's this aspect of it is here, but it's not fully manifested in its fullness, in its full entirety. Almost like, as I often joke about me, right? I'm here, but I'm not fully here. Just not just yet. I promise you I'm coming. I'm coming, y'all. I'm coming. But already, but not yet. This is what he's talking about. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Love here, what, what it talks about here, about the, the kingdom and, um, and the will. Because the kingdom is talking about the reality of, the God, of God's rule and reign within the earth. But then the will here is talking about the act of willing or the thing that is being willed to happen. Another way of putting it is, it's the act of, this, this, this your kingdom come, your will be done, kind of um, bringing coming together, actually in, inactuates this, this aspect or this thought. It's the active identification, of Worshipers with the working out of God's divine promises. It's the active identification of work, workers who align themselves with God's divine purposes. Carlisle, Soldier Carlisle, I want you to know listen, God is already on the move. He's already in on the move in this, in this community. We, we have been brought in as men and women to be a part of the move that God is already doing in this community. He is, he is on the move. He is preparing hearts. He is, he, is, he is speaking to his people. He is preparing them for salvation. He is on the move. He, he is um, allowing kids to hear about the name of Jesus but quite not understand the full identity of who he is. He's on the move right now in this community. But he calls us into the work that he's already doing. This aspect of your kingdom come, I think of it um, in this way. I think of a faucet that's continually running that's just constantly flowing. That is the part of God's kingdom. God is at work. He's doing his work. His work is always, it doesn't cease because we are not involved in it. It's always going on. It's always active. The faucet never turns off, but your will be done is saying we want to put our bucket underneath that faucet. We want to align ourselves and our, this church to where God is already working and moving in this community. We're not just trying to conjure up a, a work. The work is happening and God is calling us to align ourselves with the work that's already being done. This is a call that God has called us to as a church. Not to make up something or to try to come up with some magical incantation to make things happen. God is working. He's moving. And we want to be aligned with the the ways and in which the, the promises that God is on his movement within this local community. Our Father in heaven, Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. That's self-explanatory, but I think it's a good to be reminded of there. Psalm 24 one says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and all those who dwell therein. It's a good reminder for us that, listen, there are authorities and there are powers but there are none that, that succumb or, 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 or even overcome or thwart can thwart the power and the presence of our God and our King. He owns it all. And because he owns it all, he calls us to steward what he owns well, as faithfully as we are able to do. After having three petitions about the, the glory and the nature of God, he then have three petitions that actually deal with us, Notice this first petition. Look with me in verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Now, listen, I want to park here just for a little bit because this one had me tripping out. Uh, I shouldn't say tripping. It had me perplexed this week, um, thinking through it a little bit. Give us this day our daily bread. I love this because what it reminds us is that Jesus takes our physical needs seriously. He takes our physical needs seriously. But look look how he asks us to respond to those physical needs with bread. This amazes me, bread. I mean, even when you go to a restaurant, my favorite restaurant, if anybody wanna take me there, is Texas Roadhouse. You know why I like going to Texas Roadhouse? Thank you, my brother clapping back there. You know why I like going to Texas Roadhouse? Because of what? Because of the bread, you're right. That's exactly why I like to go. I, the steaks are uh, good, you know, but the bread, oh, man, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I crave when I go to Texas Roadhouse. I want that cinnamon bread. But notice, notice what he asks us to to, to go after. Bread, bread that that comes with your meal, almost for free. You don't even gotta ask for bread. Bread is so easy and accessible. Who, 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 who? I mean, go to bread. How much does a loaf of bread, bread cost? About a dollar fifty. Am I right? Huh? Of, okay, like, uh, okay, yeah, the, the most expensive bread, gluten-free bread, which is not a thing, I don't think. Is it? Okay, yes, it is a thing. Let's say it's $4.50. I still, I mean, it's a lot of money, but bread. Notice what he asks us. Here. He, call, he calls us to bread, something that honestly you probably can get easy, easily by yourself. And I think the reason why God calls us to this is because God says, give us, give us today, this day, our daily bread, because he wants, to, he wants us to ask for the things that we think that we're entitled to receive. The very things that you think you should be receiving, the very things that you don't, you just, it just happens in your life. Maybe it's a paycheck. Maybe it's 401k. Maybe it's love from your spouse. Maybe it's whatever it may be. The very things that we think that we're entitled to receive, this is what God asks us to ask for. And the reason why he asks us to ask for this is because asking for bread should humble us to see God as our provider. That the very things that I, I think that I'm entitled to, the very things that I could, I could probably get on my own, I don't need God for bread. I could get my own bread. That very attitude is what God is after. And he's saying, listen, even the things that you think you can get and you're entitled to, you need to ask. Because asking humbles you before God and allows you to see him as being your great and gracious provider. Second thing we see about this bread is he says, give us this bread, give us this day, our daily bread. This day day refers to that we need to ask for the things that we believe that we can get ourselves without God. We need to ask for the things, not just that we are entitled to, the things that we take for granted, but you also need to ask for things that we believe we can get ourselves without God even participating or being involved in the process. We need to ask for the amount of bread necessary to survive each day. I love how Proverbs put it. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says this. Says, keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and still profaning the name of my God. Asking for bread in this way should humble us to see God not just as our provider, but also as our portion. That he is our portion. And there's no good thing that we can have that comes from outside of his provision. James 1.17 puts it this way. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights who gives us things with all graciousness. He gives us, um, he gives us these things out of his gracious um, gratitude and his gracious giving to us. Not only does he say give us this day, but he says our daily bread. He says, our daily bread. Bread in the ancient times, I'm no baker, but if anybody in here is a baker, I'd love to learn from you, uh, to learn how to, how to do some of that stuff. I won't be good at it, but I'll try it. Um, but bread, in this sense, was always made a day beforehand. Bread was something that you just didn't make in one day. Bread was always prepared the day before. So essentially, when you're saying, give us this day our daily bread, you're saying, God, give me um, to give me today what's, what has been prepared for me beforehand. Give me today what you prepared even yesterday for me to have today. This is the prayer that, we're, that, 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 God, that Christ is asking us and leading us to pray. To know that God has prepared provision for you beforehand. I love how Ephesians 2, verse 10 puts it. It says, We are Christ, we are his workmanship. We are his, um, that that Greek word is the word for poem. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk therein. There are works in which God has called you to walk in that he's he's not just thinking these things up as they go. God looks at your life as an open scroll. He knows your beginning from the end. He knows your coming and he knows your going. Before there's a very word on your tongue, God already knows about it. That's why he calls us to say, give us today our daily bread, because it's a good reminder to know and view our God, to understand that he's already made provision for any need that I might have today. He's already made provision for it. I've experienced this even in a real way, even I'm preaching this to you. I most, as you guys know, we're trying to get a house, and we've put <laughs> three offers on houses, and only one of them have really come in, um, gone through because of inspections and everything else, and we literally almost just lost our house just yesterday. Um, the seller pretty much said he was insulted. I don't even, how can you be insulted? He said he, he was insulted by, the, by uh, the repairs that we asked him to make. And my wife, were, my, wife, my wife and I were freaking out. We were like, I don't know how we insulted you. We just you know, sent somebody to inspect the house and sent you pictures, and we're freaking out, and we don't know what to do. And we're starting to get in arguments like, well, you should have did this, and I should have did this, and the kids should have did this, and God should have did this. I mean, we're just going all around these circles, going at each other. And I remembered this verse because I had to preach on it. And I said, hold on, wait, wait, wait. God, God, give us today our daily bread. You knew this was going to happen. You knew this problem was going to come up even before we were gone. Give us today our daily bread. Literally prayed that prayer with my wife. And I tell you within the last 24 hours, not only is the house uh, We're going to go look at the house at 1230 after church. Not only are we we got permission to look at the house, he's even willing to give us some free stuff, um, even as a result of that. And I'm not saying that to say that God is some magical incantation where he just kind of is your genie. What I'm saying to you is that every problem that you face is not to be dealt with anxiety or fear. Sometimes you have to remember the promises of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask God to give you your daily bread. Demand from God. You promised to give me and to be my provision and to be my provider and to be my portion. Be that mighty God. Be that mighty king. Again, God is trying to undo our wrong views of him. Our wrong views of him. You can't pursue a God who you don't don't see as lovely. You can't pursue a God that you don't see as good. It's hard to to love a God who you think is unfair and unjust. Our view of God determines our pursuit of him. Notice what he says in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us From the evil one. From the evil one. There's a lot of things to discuss here, so I'll try to be as quick and concise as I can. This aspect of forgiveness is not an aspect of saying that if we don't forgive others, then Christ won't forgive us or he'll take away the salvation he's provided from us. It's not talking about justification. It's not talking about the moment that you actually were saved and you actually were um, the wrath of God that was rightly pointed towards you because of your uh, rebellion against him of submitting to the lordship and to the the sovereign reign of his son um, that was rightly pointed towards you. But when you placed your faith in Christ, it was also rightly pointed away from you and pointed to him, that being Jesus. It's not talking about justification. It's not talking about you losing your salvation but it is talking about your relationship. It is talking about having a good relationship with the Lord. Notice we, what he says here. He says, um, we, are pre- t- we, are, we are to pray for forgiveness from God only after first having, um, ha- ha- excuse me, only after first having first expressed forgiveness to others. Now, there's a strong correlation that, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Notice the different terminology here. God forgives our debts or our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We don't forgive other people's sin. Only God can do that. But we can ask for forgiveness for, towards a person or the perpetrator who, got, who was used to sin against us. When Jesus is talk, asking us to do this, he knows what he's talking about. Because even at the cross, when he was being, hum- when he was being murdered um, at the cross of Calvary and he was hung between, between two thieves, Jesus, full of compassion, looks at these people and he says probably the most unimaginable words you could possibly hear at that, at that time and in that situation. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, if Jesus could not say those words, then we may not have salvation. Because Jesus, even in that point of death, even in that point of anguish, even in that point of being tortured and having his very life taken from him, he was able under the power of the Holy spirit to offer forgiveness to those people due to their ignorance. When the Bible calls you to forgiveness it's not calling you to agreement. That's very important because there are some people who have wronged you intentionally and purposefully. There are some people in this very room who have been abused by loved ones they may be abused right now. The Bible isn't asking you to forgive what they did to you. The Bible's asking you to forgive your judgment that you place upon them as a result of what they've done to you. That's what he's asking for. Father, forgive them. It's a hard word. There's, there's, there's three ways in which we become reconciled with God and one, one another. The first one is to recognize. We have to recognize our sins. We have to recognize the wrongdoing. The second thing is we have to turn away in broken relationships. We have to turn away and walk, repent is what the scriptures call us to. And then after repentance, then you have an opportunity to actually reconcile and actually to try to bridge that gap together. And then even after the reconciliation, there's a fourth step that we don't talk about too much, which is called restitution. Which means that, listen, just because you ask for forgiveness and just because you've given forgiveness and just because you've come together, there may be some things you need to do in your relationship to make that relationship better. So for instance, if you've been stealing $20 bills out of somebody's purse every single Sunday, it's not just good to say, hey, I'm sorry for stealing that money, but don't I look good? I got all these nice clothes and these nice shoes. Thank you. Restitution says, not only have I wronged you, not only I'm not gonna gonna do that again, not only am I trying to get right relationship with you, but I'm gonna take it a step further and every single penny I stole from you, I'm gonna give back with interest. It's restitution. These are the four R's that helps us to live in community together that Christ calls us to. Forgive us our debts as we, have been, as we have also forgiven our debtors. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil out in here uh, for the sake of time. I think it's really important for us to understand that God tempts no one. God tempts no one. James chapter 1 verse 13 says it the best. James chapter 1, verse 13, says it this way. says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. The main difference between temptation and test is this. A test asks the question, can you trust God? Can I trust God? A temptation always asks the question, can God trust you? Temptations come from our own desires. It comes from within. It comes from our own heart or our own selfishness. It's it's me wanting to get what I want regardless at any cost. A test normally comes from God. And a test is always associated with proving the quality of the thing that's being tested. It's not meant to destroy you, but it's meant to to show you what's actually inside of you, show you your character that's within. It reminds me of Psalm 12, chapter 12, verse 6, where the the psalmist says these words. He says, "Um, the word of God is pure, like fire refined in fire seven times. Again, I'm no blacksmith or anything like that. But in the blacksmith, in the aspect of fire being silver, being refined in fire, there's a process of heating that metal, getting that metal to be moldable, bringing it out, shaping it, cooling it, and then putting it back in the fire. And every time you put it back in the fire, guess what happens to that metal? It gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And this is what God has called us to in times of testing. Another way of understanding this aspect of do not lead us to temptation is not just even temptation, but Lord, don't lead us to hard testing. First, uh, First uh, Corinthians 10, 20, 13 promises these words. It says these, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Meaning that every single thing temptation you, you, you've experienced, either someone has experienced it, someone is experiencing it, or someone will experience it. No temptation has, has taken, you, taken over you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear. Hallelujah to God's name for that. He's not going to give you a temptation that you can't bear. He's not going to give you something um, that you will overwhelm you to the point of you just have to submit to it. But with the temptation, scripture says, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can bear it. Brothers and sisters, when you are enduring temptation, the first thing you need to do is don't fight, run. Run, the Bible gives us clear instruction that we, there are some things we just don't need to fight with. Run away from it, but if you can't run, then the second thing you need to do is ask for a way of escape. There's always an opportunity that God gives you in those times of temptation that it's, it's an exit ramp. And you need to ask God to open your eyes. Father, I don't see an ex- exit ramp. Honestly, Father, in this time, I don't want to take the exit ramp. But God, give me the courage and boldness to see where you're leading me out of this and give me the courage to follow you to exit off this highway of temptation. What do we do with temptations? Three things. Ask God to help you recognize it as being a temptation. Ask God, even in the midst of it. Lord, Lord help me to see this for what it truly is. Number two, ask God to give you the strength to overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, ask God to give you the courage to choose his way instead of the way, um, instead of way of temptation, the way of escape, as the scriptures call it. Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you, and we do praise you. God, we do thank you that you have given us your word for life and for our flourishing. And Lord, we ask even now that you would help us to see you rightly. Our view of you matters, God. Our view and understanding of who you are matters greatly to our walk with you. So, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, not to see you as an ignorant God, as a God who doesn't understand, as a God who can't comprehend the things that we're going through. But, Lord, help us to know, God, that you are the God who provides our daily bread. You give us our provision even before we know we need it, Father. You're making provision today for tomorrow for things that we have not even yet experienced. So, Father, go before us. Help us in this way. Grow us as your church. Grow us in the, in the love for you and for your, and for your uh, body, Lord. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.